I don't know about you, but we've just had a very busy week, and it seems like, even though Easter was last Sunday, it seems like it was a month ago already. You know, it just seems like there's been so much kind of packed into this week. And as we gathered on Resurrection Sunday last week, we talked about one of the things that God, God does when he transforms a person's life. What, what, how does the resurrection change us? One of the things that we said is that God gives us the ability and the empowerment to find joy even in the midst of adversity. Have you found that to be true? That even in the midst of really difficult things, God can, God can, you're not happy that you're going through difficulty, but God gives you joy. And one of the things that we're going to do for the next couple of weeks, you'll notice that the, um, the graphic on the front of your bulletin is a little bit different. We're going to go into kind of a mini-series, kind of continuing that idea of how does the, how does the gospel transform us? How does it change us? Because, guys, let's just face the facts. You know, there are millions of people in the United States that would call themselves Christians, but there is no resurrection power at all in their lives. Zero. Zip. None. Nada. It's not there. And so this, there's a difference between kind of mentally and intellectually affirming the truth of the resurrection and living out the glories and the truth of how it works itself out. So we're going to talk about God at work. And the way we're going to talk about that today is how God is at work in our work. Now, it's been, it's been said that every Christian can use a checkup from the neck up. And so next week, we're going to talk about not God's work in our work, but God's work in our words. Now, automatically, you know, I see people going, well, I don't use the Lord's name in vain, so there's nothing for me to learn. Listen, friend, there's a lot more about honoring God with your mouth than not just using his name in vain. And so we'll explore that. Uh, work is an important thing. When you consider how many hours you spend at it um, over the course of your life, between sleeping and working, that's the majority of your life, friends. And you can tell a lot about a person um, and their attitude towards work by the bumper stickers they put on their car. Have you ever seen I-O, I-O? How's it, how's it end? So off to work I go. As if that is like the chief motivation for doing what you do for like your entire career. I owe bills, so I got to go to work. Like, is that the best that we can do? Is that the best reason we can muster is, you know, I'm going to go to jail if I don't go to work. And work is better than jail, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go. It's the lesser of two evils. Is there any glory in the daily grind? And as believers in the Bible, we can say yes Absolutely, because God is involved in the details of our everyday life. And so this morning, kind of as a theme passage, I'd like to direct our attention to Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 through 10, a passage you're probably familiar with. Now, um, uh, someone kindly reminded me, or let me know last week, that whenever I tell you what page number in the Pew Bible to turn to, that I've been giving out the wrong page numbers. Because we, we went through and we made sure we had all the same Bibles uh, in all the pews. And where I sit, someone put a different Bible. And so um, uh, I'm not crazy. So if you have a black NIV Bible in the pew in front of you, and you don't have your own copy of the scripture, it'll be page 827. The rest of you, Philippians chapter 2. Just find it. Um, (laughs) Maybe one of your neighbors can help you find the right spot. But I want you to listen to this verse, and I want you to hear, because it talks about our work in two very distinct ways that are important. Both ways are important for us to hear. God's word says this, for you are saved by grace through faith, and this is not of yourselves. 
Aren't you grateful for that? It's not dependent upon you. How good would you have to be to get it? You're saved by grace through faith, and this is not from yourselves. It is God's gift, not from your works, so that no one can boast. For we are His creation, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared ahead of time that we should walk in them. And in your bulletin, you should have a little simple kind of four-point outline to kind of guide our discussion here today. And our first point would be this, that the gospel of grace works regardless of our works. That the gospel of grace works regardless of our works. There's a very important doctrine that is being taught here. And it's this, that Christ's work alone is sufficient for your salvation. So the equation is really, really simple. Christ's work on the cross and faith in that equals salvation. There is no Christ's work on the cross plus me giving lots of money to the church, plus me always going to church, plus me helping old ladies across the street, plus me being an Eagle Scout by the time I'm 10. There's no work that you add to it. Christ's work alone is sufficient. So regardless of what your works are, they don't help you because the work of Christ is what you need. And it says this very plainly in Ephesians 2.9. You are saved by grace through faith, not from yourselves. It is God's gift, not from works that no one can boast. And we go, boast? What's all this deal about boasting? Well, the simple truth is, if you are good enough to earn heaven, if you are good enough to earn heaven, do you understand what a self-righteous pig you would be? I, I said it. I said pig. We're having a, a pork barbecue, so I think I'm allowed to kind of use that. When you, when you think you're good enough, you don't need Christ's sacrifice, you get high on the hog enough, to kind of follow our pork metaphor, to now look down your nose at everybody, because of course the way you do it is right and their way is wrong. That's what self-righteousness is. Everything you do is right, everything anyone, your spouse does is wrong. You know, you just start to look down at people. And what Paul is saying here is that the ground is level at the cross. And so there are, there's a wide kind of spectrum of people that will be here this morning. There'll be some people who um, were good little boys and girls growing up. You know, they listened and obeyed mom and dad, and they kind of continued that trajectory. And so when you come to church, you kind of go, I'm a pretty decent, okay person. There are others of you who have shared a bit of, a bit of your story who have been around the block a little bit. You've seen the things all the, the good people hadn't seen. You know, you've seen the side of life. You've been down the dark alleys. You've been on the wrong side of the tracks. And you kind of know, eh, you know, I, I'm not that person. I'm not the good person. And the point here is that regardless of who you are, regardless of how you look at yourself, the only thing any one of you contribute to your salvation is your sin. When we talk about the equation of God's work on the cross being sufficient, the only thing you contribute is not your sterling reputation. It's not your legacy of greatness. The only thing you contribute to your salvation is your sin. You can't save yourself. And so the Bible starts talking about works in a way of which we kind of project an image and try to manage our reputation to win brownie points with God and with others. And the Bible says you can't do that because it's either Christ alone or it's nothing. And so don't add your works 
to the perfect work of Christ. Because whether you've been the pretty good person or whether you've been the person around the block, you need his cross for your sin. Because the works that you do, let me just enlighten you here for just a second. Because I think especially us church-going folks, we're tempted to think we're all right. The Bible says, apart from Christ, our works are absolutely and completely worthless. Worthless. As a matter of fact, Jeremiah the prophet says that our righteousness is like filthy rags compared to the work of Christ. If we use our works to try to measure up to Christ's work, there's no comparison. As a matter of fact, the imagery that it uses is really um, significant. When it says that our righteousness is like filthy rags, um, I'll just encourage you to do a little word study there and figure out when it says dirty rags, uh, what exactly it's talking about there. But I'll, uh, we'll keep it PG here for the kids. Um, it's, not a, it's not a pleasant uh, metaphor that Jeremiah is talking about. You either have the blood of Christ or you have another kind of bloody rag that is not a flattering image. Listen to uh, the way Paul says this when he talks about the gospel of grace working regardless of our works. 2 Timothy 1.9. It says, God has saved us and has called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and his own grace, which was granted to us in Christ Jesus from all eternity. So when it comes to our justification, our works don't count at all. But number two, as we move into Ephesians 2.10, we see something different that this verse says that's important for us. And what it tells us is our second point, that we were saved for good works. If our first point was doctrinal, talking about the sufficiency of Christ's work, now we're starting to talk about the relationship between our faith in Christ and the works that we do. In Ephesians 2 says we, were, we are His creation, created in Christ Jesus for good works. So we're told that we were created for and empowered for good works. So how do we figure out how this relationship works between faith and works? Well, I love this little phrase. You've got it in your bulletin. And I'm not sure who it's original with. Martin Luther's a hero of mine, so uh, I'll attribute it to Martin Luther because I think that's ultimately where it comes from. He He said this in relationship to our first and our second point. He said, while it is faith alone that saves the faith that saves is never alone while it is faith alone that saves the faith that saves is never alone what's he mean he means that when god really truly gets a hold of your life the right way for you to worship is not necessarily to sing it's to live out new resurrection realities in your life Faith transforms us. Instead of trying to work to get to God, it, we work because of what, is, what God has done. We're saved by His work to do His works. And so we are working from salvation, not for salvation. There's a huge difference between working for God because we're saved and working for God because we're trying to earn our salvation. And so what he's talking about here is the integral part of our salvation where God uh, causes a new nature to kind of come alive in us, where we work, where we progress in holiness. It's the process that the Bible says of making us like Christ. So God takes us all. He takes Paul. And he starts kind of chipping away the stuff in Paul that doesn't look like Jesus. He takes David. 
He takes Joe. Uh, he takes me. And he starts, uh, he, he takes all of our sin and gives us his righteousness. And as the new birth begins to work it out, we change and we start getting conformed to the image of Christ. That's what the Bible talks about. I'm sure it's not a true story, but there was, you know, one of the famous Roman um, sculptors who's got his big block of marble and he's in the process of, you know, creating this beautiful statue of a person. And there's a little 10-year-old boy watching him who's just fascinated. He wants to know, how do you take a rock, big chunk of rock, and turn it into a beautiful statue? You know, let's just say it's a statue of David. How do you turn it into a statue of David? And he goes, oh, it's really quite easy. I just chip away everything that doesn't look like David. Now, it should be satisfactory for a little 10-year-old boy. That's the process that God uses in our life. You know, he takes us and he says, you know, this part of Scott's life just doesn't look like Jesus very much. So, knock it off. You know, sand this out. Buff this out. Work it out. He changes us. And he forces us to become like the thing that we say we affirm. Listen to the way the Bible talks about this. James chapter 2, verses 17 through 18 and verse 20. James says, even so, faith, if it has no works, is dead, being by itself. But someone may well say, you have faith, and I have works. Show me your faith without the works, and I will show you my faith by my works. Are you willing to recognize, you foolish fellow, that faith without works is useless? 1 Timothy 6.18, Paul is giving instruction to Timothy's protege, and he is telling him what to do as he goes around in ministry. Here are the things you are to teach God's people. He says, Instruct them to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share. Four different words are used there, but they're all contributing to the same reality. He says, instruct them to do good. Someone goes, well, what do you mean do good? You know, I helped the lady across the street 20 years ago. No, 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 no. I'm talking about not just doing a good thing one time. I'm talking about being rich in good works being filthy, rich in good works. Oh yeah, well, what does that mean? It means to be generous and ready to share. Whatever needs to be done, that's what good works are. It's getting it done. One of the things that is a strange reality, in the United States, we seem to have divorced um, the opportunity for people to profess whatever they want but not actually hold them accountable for actually possessing what they profess that they have? And here's, here's a for instance. Southern Baptist Convention, we'll just talk about, about our own people for a second. Um, according to you know, the statistics, there are 16 million Southern Baptists in the United States. That's great. That gives us, a, that gives us strong clout in Washington. That makes us a powerful special interest group. The problem is... Um, Apparently, 8 million of us are in the FBI Witness Protection Program because we can never find them. They don't ever come to church. They don't ever come to church. Now, listen, we're not saved by our works, okay? Can we get an amen to that? Do we agree with that? We're not saved by our works. But one of the ways we demonstrate resurrection reality is by doing the right things. Now, preaching to the choir or preaching to the congregation, you guys are in church, okay? The point is you get all these people who are certain that they're going to heaven because they joined a church 50 years ago and haven't, been, haven't darkened the door ever since. Now, I don't have the authority to say that they're not saved. I don't have that authority at all. I don't want that authority. I'll be glad to leave that at the judgment seat of Christ for him to figure it out. 
But you know, if you say that the Lord of the universe who made everything was all the power in the world and you're plugged into him and you're connected and he hadn't made a difference, you're either deceived or you're lying. Can we affirm that? If he's the Lord of all and he can change everything, make creation with a word and he hadn't changed you at all, then you need to talk to whoever sold you what you got because he didn't sell you the right thing. Now I'll admit, When I came to Christ, if your story is anything like mine, I did not look very much like Jesus on day one. My family would probably say, you don't look a whole lot like Jesus right now. Do you know what? I look more like Jesus now than I did on day one. And you do too. Now, thank God he's not done working on us. You know, I may need a little remedial work in a couple areas, but he's patient with me. He's continually conforming me to his image. You know what? And I'm in the journey. I'm not disappeared. I'm not AWOL. I'm moving in the right direction because I understand that one of the ways we prove our faith is by allowing God to live out these resurrection realities in our work. Not that we depend upon our work for our justification, but the way that we do good works is a way for us to show the crazy, awesome things that God has done in our life. So our third point, I think this is an important one is that we are to do our works in our work. A little wordplay there, but we are to do our works in our work. I, I think it's funny. I, I hear this a lot. It's very popular to, to, for people to say, for people to believe, that work is a result of the fall of mankind. That like because Adam and Eve ate that blasted passion fruit, papaya, apple, whatever it was, man, they, they ate that fruit, now... Work just stinks, man. It's tough. No, Adam, had, Adam and Eve had a job to tend the garden before the fall. God had given them a job. Working is not evil. Now, you may have a really bad boss. You may have an evil boss. But work is noble. God's created us for work. Work is not the result of the fall. It existed before the fall. Work got cursed. Now, when Adam and Eve tended the garden said, while you're tending it to be fruitful, it's going to produce thorns and thistles. Women, you're going to have pain in childbirth. I don't know what it would be like to be before that, have kids before that, but it, it, it's crazy. And so one of the things that I'm, I'm trying to avoid is we again have created this divorce where when we think about good works, we, we tend to think about good works at 1140 Curtis Street. And we limit our sphere of doing good works to our service at the church. And the problem is, guys, if we're going to reach the world, the world's not going to walk through those doors there. It's just not going to happen. We have to reach the world. We have to go to the highways and byways and compel them to come in. Because church doesn't, doesn't make sense in our day and age anymore. And I'll share a story, you know, about a, 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 a very pious man. Uh, one of the godliest men that I know. Uh, and I, I, I can say that with authority because he's my father. Um, very simple man. Um, uh, worked for the post office, doesn't like speaking in front of people. Um, but my God used my mom's gift of hospitality and my dad's kind of good, friendly nature to help win all of my friends to Christ in high school. Everyone on my football team and my wrestling team heard the gospel because of uh, my family's efforts. Um, when, I, when I dated a uh, girl, I, I, and I didn't date anyone before Marcy, um, Oh, I, I got to tell a story. Um, 
when I was in college, I was dating a girl, and uh, they decided, the admissions office decided to take pictures of us for their admissions flyers, and then we broke up like three weeks later. And so all over the country, when the college would send out these flyers, it's me and my ex-girlfriend. And my grandmother can't tell the difference between her and Marcy, so she kept it once we got married. And... Um, <laughs> decided to mail it to me a few weeks ago. She's like, oh, do you remember this? My kids were absolutely aghast. Like, why is dad touching that other woman? I'm like, I don't know. Well, I asked myself that question too. So um, it's framed in our hallway now. Um, We, um, I knew, I knew um, because my parents were serious about living out the faith. I knew that if I dated a girl, um, I needed to bring her home. Mom and dad needed to meet her. And after my father asked her what her name was, he would proceed to ask her to tell him her conversion testimony. Like, dad, don't do that. <laughs> so you know what I did? I started asking girls what their conversion testimony was before I asked them out because I went about to have it go down at my house in a bad way. It made me choose differently who I was going to be with because I knew mom and dad were going to ask that question. Good family. I'm grateful for uh, the heritage that God has given me. But let me tell you another side of the story from my dad. I grew up in a, a big church. We had 200 to 300 kids in our youth group and a uh, church of a couple thousand. So busy. There's stuff going on all the time. And I told you my dad worked for the post office. Great government job, lots of great benefits. It was a blessing. Um, my dad was just so in love with our church, uh, and rightfully so, our whole family was, that he would find ways to go into work early so that he could get off early so that he could do all this kind of church stuff. Monday night, Tuesday night, Wednesday night, Thursday night, Friday night. And this is not a story of my dad loving the church more than loving family. That's not it at all. Our whole family did it. Because, you know, what do good Christians do? You do everything that happens at church. You know what we didn't do? We didn't talk to our neighbors. Because if our neighbors don't go to our church, and we got no time for you, because we got church stuff all the time. There's like 30 hours of church stuff a week on top of 40 hours of work, and we didn't talk to the people that we work with. Because, you know, at work is just, you know, you get the paycheck to pay the bills so that you can go do church stuff. So listen, this is not a diatribe against church stuff. Please, if you serve in the church, do not resign your position because there's a blessing that comes from doing good works. You need to do good works. The idea is to expand your horizon and to understand that you can do your good works at your work. It's wonderful and blessed, and thank you so much for doing your good works collectively with us as a church. But are there any good works left in your tank that you can do them outside the doors of this church so that unbelievers can actually see it? That's the challenge. Is for 20 years, my dad lived this way and then had the painful realization that God had sovereignly placed him in the post office where he was, where there were no other um, vocal believers that he's aware of, and that he may be the only person who would be faithful to reach him, and he'd wasted 20 years. Because he got so busy about living out his Christian life on the, the 3751 Sheridan Street that he never lifted out at 3211 Northwest 78th Avenue or uh, 111800 Miami Beach Boulevard. He just never did. Because the church actually encouraged him to be busy and not actually to be busy necessarily about the best stuff. So I love this story. Again, Martin Luther. I'm, I'm kind of getting my Luther fix here today. Luther was a great reformer, lived in the 1500s. That's why, um, that's why we're here today, ultimately, is ultimately because of what Luther has done. And a man came running up to him and said, Martin Luther, good teacher, tell me, what in the world do I have to do to serve the Lord? 
And Luther had a really quick wit. He said, well, answer me a question. What do you do right now? The man said, I'm a shoemaker. And much to the cobbler's surprise, Luther said, then make a good shoe and sell it at a fair price. He didn't say, make little crosses and put them on your shoes, make you some Christian shoes. He didn't say, become a monk or a missionary. He said, do what God has called you to do and do it right here. You have the opportunity to work for God in whatever calling he has called you. The whole idea of vocation, when we talk about vocational counseling or, you know, uh, vocation, it comes from the Latin phrase vocar, which means to call. So if you have a vocation, the, the word vocation means calling. Why do you do what you do? Because you have an affinity for it. You have a skill. You have an expertise. You can do it. And so do your calling. You don't have to go into ministry to be the called. We talk about that so much. Well, he's called. Well, friends, the Bible would say we're all called. Different spheres, because there's all kinds of people that need to be reached. And the truth is, to some degree, the people that I'm going to reach are going to be the people that you bring in the back door of the church. But you have the opportunity to reach all these people I have that live in your neighborhood, that go to your supermarket, that work at your place of employment. God says, man, jump into your calling. Because here's what's cool. When you do your works at work, and your work is done well, you make every workspace a sanctuary, a place where God is honored, praised, and glorified. Why? Are there plates that are passed? Does, does Troy kind of show up as a strolling minstrel with his guitar, you know, so you can have kind of, um, you know, immediate praise and worship? No! It is a sanctuary because God is praised and worshiped by the work that you do for his glory. So work done well makes every space a sanctuary. Listen to a couple verses here, Colossians 3.23. Whatever you do, whether it's big or whether it's small, do your work heartily for the Lord rather than for men. Yeah, I work for the man, work for the head man, work for the boss man. No, you don't. You work for the Lord. So that doesn't mean, you know, hey, the preacher works for the Lord. No. Craig Trovinger's not in here again, and I used him as a sermon illustration. Is he back there, John? Is he hiding in the corner? All right. Listen, when Craig cuts grass and he gets those lines perfectly straight, God's glorified by that. You know, if you're in a tool shop, if you're a machinist, when, those, when that machine's going to work right and those bolts are uh, fixed right and nobody's going to get hurt in the process, you glorify God by doing a good job. When you're a nurse and you try to care not just for a person's ailment, but for their soul. Make them feel like they're not a number uh, in a room, but they're a, a living, breathing person who's going through difficulty. When you do your work for the Lord, you glorify Him. 1 Corinthians 10.31 says, Whether you eat or you drink, the most menial things that you do, eating and drinking, whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. So cut that grass. Tighten that bolt. Um, love on that person Make sure the profit and loss ledger is right. Do it well, because God deserves the best efforts that you have. Matthew 5, 16 says, Let your light shine before men in such a way that they may see your good works and pat you on the back. No, that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. The Bible says, do your works and make it visible. Not ostentatious. Because work done well is ultimately for God's glory and not for your ego. And if we're doing it for the glory of God, 
then you know what? If me working well and working hard and seeking to glorify God is an encouragement to you, then to God be the glory. God be the glory. First Peter 4.10, Peter says, As each one has received a special gift, employ it in serving one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. You want to know how you work for the glory of God? Not only is your inner um, motivation and ambition to glorify God, but you use your gifts, skills, talents, personality for the benefit of others. Peter says, use your gift. Use it, as, uh, use it in serving one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. So I can tell you with great authority, Lord will back me up on this. If you don't have a way that you're serving outside in the community, intentionally trying to give a Christian witness, or corporately here as a church, God wants you to get a job. Do something. And you know what? Hey, if you're looking for some way to get started, you want to try something out that's temporary, help with the barbecue. We've got an event coming up that like, it's like three days and then it's, no, it's not three days for Jeff, but um, yeah, it's just a couple days. And once you're done with it, you're done with it. And find a way to serve because God's service is a good thing. We serve for the benefit of others, for the glory of God, and we seek to not be a burden. Listen to this really practical advice Paul gives. I'll be in 1 Thessalonians 4 and then 2 Thessalonians 3. He says, make it your ambition to lead a quiet life and attend to your own business and work with your hands just as we commanded you. There's no sense that work is some kind of curse. There's a blessing in doing work. 2 Thessalonians 3, Paul says, we kept working night and day so that we would not be a burden to any of you. But if anyone is not willing to work, then he's not to eat either. For we hear that there are some among you who are leading an undisciplined life, doing no work at all, but acting like busybodies. Now such persons we command and exhort in the Lord Jesus Christ to work in quiet fashion and eat their own bread. So how do we work for the glory of God? Well, we take the gospel to work with us for the first place. And we do our work to glorify God. We do our work for the good of others. We do our work so that we are not a burden. We do our work so that we contribute to the common good. And that's how God is glorified in our work. Now, I don't know about you in your house, but I know we've got a lot of parents here. When your kids do what they are supposed to do, do they get applauded? Hey, you put the dishes in the dishwasher. Way to go! Hey, you made your bed. You brushed your teeth. You put deodorant on, you know, you wore matching socks. No, when you do what you're supposed to do, there's no praise. It's just kind of like, I don't have, the deacons don't stand out here Monday at 8 o'clock when I show up for work. Oh, yeah, you do what you do. You're just expected to do what you do. Here's the thing that's crazy. When we do our work in a way that really seeks to glorify God, that's for the the benefit of others, um, not being a burden for the common good, God says he rewards us when we do what he tells us to do. I don't reward my kids. Now, this is not, like, I'm not going to reward my kids for them doing what they're supposed to do. But God tells us when we do what he wants us to do that there's a rich reward for work that's done rightly. That's a beautiful thing. 1 Corinthians 3, 13 through 15 says this. There will come a day when each man's work will become evident, for the day will show it because it will be revealed with fire. And the fire itself will test the quality of each man's work. And if any man's work which he has built his life upon remains, he will receive a reward. For work that is tested and comes through the fire, there will be a reward. If any man's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, but he himself will be saved, but as through fire. 
The Bible says for people who are faithful, who work hard to um, glorify God, who are ready for Him to appear, it says that there's a crown of life, that there's a crown of glory, that there's a crown of righteousness that is available for those who are faithful in their work. And finally, in 1 Corinthians 15, 58, Paul provides this benediction. He says, Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, be immovable, be always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your toll is not in vain if it is done in the Lord. When he says always abounding in the work of the Lord, that doesn't mean that you carry your Sunday school quarterly with you seven days a week. The work of the Lord is doing whatever it is that he has called you to do for his glory and for his glory alone. So school teachers, teach to the glory of God. Auto mechanics, fix them cars to the glory of God. Do whatever it is that God has called you to do for the glory of God. Because he's glorified in that and we are enriched by knowing that we have been obedient to our gracious God and Father. Pray with me, please. God, we, th- we thank you for this word and we pray that you will in your grace forgive us. God, if we have to sit here and think about all of the work that we have done that has not consciously been for your glory, we stand before you this morning as great sinners. You tell us even in our eating and drinking, we're to do it to the glory of God. God, there are days that we can go to work and be so preoccupied with our to-do list that you are so far from our thoughts. And so, God, we recognize that while you have justified us in Christ, we always have to examine our lives for why we do what we do. And we have to renew our commitment as disciples to do the right thing the right way with the right motives, attitudes, and goals. And so, God, if our attitude has been, I owe, I owe, so off to work I go. God, we pray that you'll save us from that kind of attitude. That you'll help us to see the glory of and working hard for you, that you'll help us to see the uh, manifold beauty of work that is done, all kinds of work, when it's done for an audience of one. God, I pray that um, among this congregation that there will be people who will rise up to serve in the community and in the church because working is a good thing. God, if there is something that we ask for you to do for us, It's that we will see you at work, in our work. In Jesus' name we pray.